Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Hey, take your Bibles and turn to Joshua. We've been working through Joshua, looking at it as a big scope. We're going to tackle quite a bit this morning as we look at possession and rest. Next week, we will be finishing off uh, the, our study in, in uh, Joshua. So make sure you're here next week as well as we just close up that book. And just thankful for a book that's still today, ancient and old, but still uh, relevant for us today. So before we go on, let me ask you a question. What is the longest time that you've ever waited for a promise to fulfill? Think about it. Back from when you were a child, maybe you know, a young adult, whatever it might be. What's the longest time that you've waited for a promise to be filled? And let me ask you, how many of you say, yeah, I'm a pretty patient person when it comes to promises? Anyone here? There's a few of you? Oh, okay. All right. There's a few liars here. All right. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. You're not. You know, isn't that something, though, especially as a child? Hey, we're going to Disneyland soon. Are we there yet? Are we, you know, there's, there's a little song about that. Are we there yet when kids are traveling with their parents? Promises are sometimes can be very, very difficult for us to wait for. Um, most of us do struggle with that. We want to see something happen, you know, whether it's that, that graduation day or maybe it's the day of our wedding or whatever it may be, the ch- uh, you know, a child coming into the family. These are things that, boy, these are promises we have. And the worst thing is when a promise is not fulfilled, right? Probably you and I can remember times where mom or dad promised us something that didn't come true. Or maybe it was something uh, the girl had promised us, a guy had promised us. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's work. This job just didn't come through. Then they promised you a raise or promised you a new position and it didn't come to place. Well, waiting for promises can be very difficult, especially when it comes to the promises of God. There are so many wonderful promises of God. And it can be difficult waiting for them. The difficulties of life, the presence and the pressures of battling sin in our lives, the suffering that you and I have to endure while we're waiting for those promises can lead to our spirits being deflated, our hopes dimmed. Yet God has called us to endure and overcome, trusting that he is faithful to his promises. As the Apostle Peter reminds us that the Lord is not slack in concerning his promises, slow to fulfill his promises. God is faithful to his promises. And that's what we're seeing here as we come to the book of Joshua. Last week we covered five chapters, uh, and it was a whirlwind of activity, as you may recall, as we saw the conquest of first southern Canaan, uh, Canaan and then northern Canaan, as Joshua leads the armies of Israel, the Lord fights for them. But as we see here, we learn that fear can lead to victory or death. Fear can lead to victory or death. We also came to understand that we always must recognize that the battle is the Lord's. We don't trust in chariots and horses. We don't trust in in the things of this world, but we are to trust in God for he battles for us as well as obedience leads to possession is that God has called us to be obedient. And when we're obedient to him, his promises, his faithfulness endures. 
This week, we're going to continue with the next 10 chapters of Joshua that record the aftermath of the five to seven war, year wars there in, in, uh, Josh, or in Canaan. As we come, they, they have finally found victory. The, the majority of, the play of Canaan has been subjugated and they're now ready to receive their allotment of land that has long been promised to them as they now experience a rest among the people. With us, we're in Joshua chapter 11, verse 23, and we'll be moving through Scripture quite a bit. I hope you have your Bibles. If not, I encourage you to bring one. If you do not have a Bible, please let me know after the service, and I'd love to give you a copy of God's Word so you can have it and join with us as we read each week, preparing for that, as well as reading through Titus through the month of August. So in Joshua chapter 11, verse 23, the first verse will be here on the monitor just to get us started. The writer writes, so Joshua took the whole land, speaking of Canaan, according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments. And the land had rest from war. Father, this is what we need this morning. We need to recognize that you are faithful to your promises. Father, we need to claim possession of that which you've given us as children of you, of believers, as Christians. Father, we want to experience that rest now, maybe not wholly knowing that it's going to come in that day that we face death or that you come again. But Lord, there's a rest that you have promised us. So help us as we look at Joshua. It's an old ancient book. It's, it, it, it's people far removed from us, a land that's far from you, uh, removed from us and a culture that is very, very foreign. But yet it is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction and training in righteousness that we may be complete, perfect, ready to do the works that you called us to do. So I pray that we just do that work this morning. Give us uh, your wisdom in your name we pray. Amen. Now, <clears throat> the biggest takeaway from these chapters, these 10 chapters, is a the theme of faithfulness, obedience and reward. So that's what we're going to read as we read through here and go quickly is faithfulness, obedience, and reward. First, let's consider the faithfulness of Yahweh. Yahweh, for those who might be new, is, is a word for God in the Old Testament. It's his personal name. be honest, it's a, it's a word that we should still use today. I, we use the, you know, the generic God, but his name is Yahweh. It is I am. In our opening verses from 11.23, we read that God has fulfilled his promise to Abraham to give his children an inheritance. Now, take your Bibles real quickly. Turn to the book of Genesis, first book in the Bible, and chapter 12. I just want to remind us of what we're seeing here is something that is real and concrete. To us, it's kind of abstract because we're so far away from it. But what we're seeing here is something that's been promised uh, to these children. In Genesis chapter 12, look at verse 1. In this passage, we read of God's promise to Abraham or Abram, as his name was at that time. In 12.1, we read, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. So leave everything that you know. Leave your family. Leave your home. Leave the land you grew up. And I don't know if you've ever done that, but that's a scary thing. Leave everything, and I'm going to give you a land that you have never seen before. Verse 2. And if you do that, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse and in, all you, and in you, 
all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now you can see right there, I don't know if you caught it, uh, but if you go to verse three there, he says, I will curse and in you all, you can see there that even God is, has a little bit of Southern hillbilly in this thing, that y'all, that just, just, just so you know there. I know that might be difficult for some of you. Verse four, we'll go on. That's a little bit flippant, sorry. So Abraham went, he obeyed. And as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him, his nephew, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran where he lived. And Abram Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they sent out to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morai. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. This is who Joshua has been fighting. Okay? Look at verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. God says, I'm going to be faithful that if you obey me, I will reward you with this land. You will be a blessing. You will be a great nation. I will give this to your children. Now, it's interesting God says, I'm going to show you the land, but I'm not going to give you possession of the land. That's a, that's a pretty amazing thing there. How many of you would take a promise and said, I will show you a job in which you will not make any money, but I'll give it to your children after you're dead. Not many of us would take that type of promise, but this is what Abraham does. And he, he takes his family and moves them to a land that's filled with other people, with cities, with kingdoms. Now, Abram is a real person with real dreams and aspirations, just like you and I, but he takes us and he walks and he leaves. Now, you and I know that Abram never saw any possession of land. He, had a, he bought a cave in which he buried his wife and his family, but that's all he ever owned in Canaan. Of course, we know that this did not happen overnight, right? His children did not get the land. Isaac and Jacob, Joseph did not get the land. It took over 400 years for that promise to be fulfilled that you and I are reading today. Now that wasn't because Yahweh had forgotten that he was distracted or incapable, but due to his wisdom and timing. Going back now to Joshua chapter, first, or chapter 13 verse 6. Read that Yahweh's declaration concerning that land that was filled with Canaanites. He says, I myself, speaking Yahweh is saying here in verse 13, 6 of Joshua, I myself will drive them out before the people of Israel. Trust me, this is my promise. Only allot the, allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. They are now in the land. The war is done. He says, I will drive out the rest of the people. You just now begin to give the land to the offspring of Abraham. Promise is being fulfilled. God's faithfulness and trustworthiness is shown as we read in Joshua 24, 13. You don't have to turn there. Is that God says, I gave you a land on which you had not labored. I gave you cities that you had not built. And now you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and the olive orchards that you did not plant. God is faithful 400 plus years after giving that promise to Abraham that they are now realizing that promise. 
Secondly is the faithfulness and obedience of Joshua. The faithfulness and obedience of Joshua in leading the people and conquering the land. Look back with me at Joshua chapter 13, verse 1. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years. And there remained yet very much land to possess. So there was still some land there that had not been subjugated. Joshua's task here at his old age is almost finished as he reaches the ripe old age of, anyone want to guess? 95, 95 years old, he finally is ready to allot the land. The war is over. With very few exceptions, Joshua has faithfully followed Yahweh's command to be strong and courageous. Remember from our first message? Entrusting that the Lord is with him and that his success was due to the obedience to God's command found in Joshua 1.8. Remember this? This book of the law shall not depart, speaking of the Torah, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have great success. What you and I are seeing here is the fulfillment of that charge in Joshua 1.8. It is now being fulfilled here in Joshua 13. We find that 40 or seven years later, Joshua has done exactly what God has commanded him to do. And with the majority of the land under Israel's control, Yahweh now commands Joshua one last task in 13 verse 7. Now divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. Now you may recall, or we went over this real quickly, is that two and a half tribes went on the west side or the east side of Jordan. The rest are now going to be on the west side. Now the third picture not only is the second of the faithfulness and obedience of Joshua, But as we go on, we're going to see a third picture, and that is of Caleb. It's not only of faithfulness and obedience, but now we're going to see the reward for that obedience to the faithfulness. The reward of Caleb in chapter 14. Now, I don't know if you've had a chance to read chapter 14 yet, but chapter 14 is a a portion of scripture that's worth reading. You might recall that Caleb was one of the 12 spies that was sent out in the book of Numbers to gather intelligence about the people and the cities and the land of Canaan to see how strong they were, how big the walls were, what what was the defenses like, and uh, what were the people like, and what was the land? Was it fertile? Was it a good land? And you might recall that it was a beautiful land. They used the phrase flowing with milk and honey. It was Caleb along with Joshua that gave a glowing, a glowing excuse me, report expressing their confidence of the beauty of the land, but also that Yahweh, even at the strength of his people, was, was with Yahweh's help that they could conquer that land. Of course, we know that the people rejected those two spies' reports, that of Caleb and Jacob, or Caleb, Caleb and Joshua. And they rejected the report out of fear. And they were cursed to wander the wilderness until the day they dropped dead. Only Caleb and Joshua are left from those who left Egypt 40 years prior. God, though, is now going to be rewarding Caleb for allowing, by allowing him to live and enter the promised land where no one else was able to. And as you and I go to Joshua chapter 14, we're going to start at verse 6. We're going to read this together because it's just an amazing story. And what we're going to see here is Caleb is now 85 years old. 
And he's still going strong and he's ready to receive his inheritance. Look with me at Joshua 14, verse 6. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua Gilgad. And Caleb, the son of Jephneah, the Keznite, said to him, You know the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him, excuse me, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses, in verse 9, swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Now, now write that for that, wholly followed the Lord my God. Moses here, it says, because of your faithfulness, because of your obedience, we are going to give you, <coughs> excuse me, a promise. And look at verse 10. Let me take a drink of water, see if that will help. In verse 10, and now behold the Lord, this is Caleb speaking. The Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. Look at verse 11. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. What a great phrase. I don't feel that way 45 years later. Uh, My strength now is is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. Caleb said, listen, I'm not done. I can keep going. I've got a sword in one hand, a shield and a spear strapped. I'm ready to keep going. So look what he says in verse 12. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Now the Anakim were, were very large people. They were like they were the, 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 the like with Goliath. Goliath was what nine foot six inches tall. The Anakim were were tall people like that, very strong. He says, "I shall drive them out, just as the Lord said I would do." Verse thirteen. Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephneah, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephneah, the Kazanite to this day, because, again, he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Three times in that passage, it was said of Caleb that he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Because of his faithfulness, because of his obedience, God rewards him. What a wonderful story of faithfulness and an unwavering trust in God. This man waited 45 years or 40 years for his inheritance. And even then, he still had to go and rust out those who were still left there in that land. And he did so. Fourthly, is the faithfulness, obedience, and reward of the people of Israel. In Joshua 14, 5, we just read this. The people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. Let that be said of us. What a great epitaph for our, for our tombstone, right? He did what the Lord commanded. That, that ought to be what, you, what ought to be on yours. Again, you've heard me say it. I love David's. And David served God in his generation and he died. That's what you and I should strive for. Though they had many ups and downs, they followed the word of Yahweh. In the leadership of Joshua, and they succeeded in conquering the majority 
of the people in the land and received their allotment of land. Now, from this passage, we're going to learn two things. Number one, this is important. God is faithful to his promises. Amen? God is faithful (coughs) to his promises. You and I (coughs) need to capture this. We need to get a hold of this. His faithfulness is based on the fact that God can be trusted. Now, that's how you and I usually concern or or, or evaluate. Can Can I accept this faithfulness or this promise from someone by people you trust? Let me ask this. Have you ever had someone that you just didn't trust promise you something? And you're like, yeah, sure. And you're expecting them to fail or not to follow through because they've just shown themselves not to be people to be trusted Well, you and I need to understand that God is faithful, but he's also trustworthy. His faithfulness is because he is trustworthy. We, God can be trusted to accomplish and fulfill his promises. Evangelist Steve Lawson writes this, that God is trustworthy. And what that means, as you see here in the monitor, that God's words are utterly reliable and dependable. You can bank on this. This is an investment to worth putting your money into. As God does not mislead people or lead them down the path of falsehood. All those who believe and live according to the truth base their lives on a firm foundation. And here's the problem. We are living in a society which they want to live out their truth. They want to find out what their truth is. And they want everyone else to affirm and approve and accept their truth. However, you and I need to realize that we need to live our lives according to the one who is trustworthy. His word is reliable. It is necessary. It is clear. It is sufficient. His word has all things, pertains to life and godliness. You and I need to live our lives as we truly trust God. Now, I know everyone here would say, yeah, God is faithful. God is trustworthy. I trust him. But yet then the question is, do we really? Does our life show that? Does our calendar show that? Does our, does, does our, does our, 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 our Netflix account show that? Does our, does our checkbook show those things that we believe that God is faithful and that God fulfills his promises? Number two, not only is God faithful to his promises, but number two, obedience to God's word is rewarded. Obedience to God's word is rewarded. And that's where you and I need to sit. We need to trust. That's that mind and that heart. But then we just need to live that out. We need to, we need to recognize that God's word has called us. When it says, husband, love your wives, that's what we do do. When it says, wives, submit to your husbands, we're to, or to their husbands, we need to do that. When it says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, that's what we are called to do. Trusting that God will see us through. It's unfortunate I may step on some toes here. I would say, how many of you believe that God will supply all, his need, all your needs according to his riches and glory? I'm sure all of you would say yes. <clears throat> but I would say, then I would ask you, and Lord, forgive me for this. For I may not have a job after today. How many of you ever found yourself buying a lotto ticket or a lottery ticket? Or tempted to? It would say, what's wrong with that? Well, is God going to supply your needs? Or will he not? Of course, I suppose then we can find the loopholes. Well, well, the way that God is going to supply my needs is by having me win the lottery ticket. 
I've tried to use that turn, that, that, that kind of loophole before. It doesn't really satisfy. We do the same thing with many of the things. I mean, remember, what is sin? It's just being unsatisfied in the promises of God. Men who are unsatisfied with their wives, wives who are unsatisfied with their husbands, children who are unsatisfied with the authorities of their parents. Many of us who are unsatisfied with the promise that God says obey and I will reward you. See, all temptation is, and I'm off my notes, so now we're getting into trouble, is all temptation is a shortcut to God's promises. That's all Satan does. From Adam to Achan to to David to Christ for you and I. Remember that cycle of sin that we, we looked at? All it is is Satan says, listen, you don't need to wait for God to fulfill your promises. I can give you what you want now at a cheaper price. He's a used car salesman. Not a pre-owned vehicle, just a used car salesman. I'm sorry if any of you in that business. That's all it is. He says, here, I'm going to give you this now, that false fruit. And we eat it all up. In the end, we may be satisfied for just a moment, but then in the end, we have no satisfaction, right? And we wonder why our lives are not restful. We wonder why God is not rewarding us, is not delivering us from the things that we struggle with. Well, obedience to God's word is rewarded. I probably should read what I typed here, so let's try that. Joshua, Caleb, and the people received their inheritance due to the faithfulness of Yahweh and their obedience to the word of God. The children of Abraham received the inheritance that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those who modeled faith through their obedience. Now, they were not perfect. You and I could look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and pull apart their lives, right? Just as we could any, any one of us. But they did model faith through their obedience. Abraham forsook his home, his family, and his heritage to follow Yahweh, as did his children, from nomads who traveled a land that they did not own, other than one cave for a graveyard. They then became slaves in Egypt, only to be delivered and then wander the desert for 40 years. <clears throat> this generation of Hebrew children have finally found rest from their enemies and a place to raise their family and worship according to the law and become a great nation. Promised, fulfilled. The question that you and I are left with is, how though does this story propel, or how does this Joshua here propel the story of the Bible? How does this fit? This is, this is great. So how does this fit with you and I when I get up in the morning and I have to go to work or I have to go to school or I have to face life or I'm enduring pain or I'm getting older and I haven't received uh, what uh, anything is of yet. I'm still struggling and just surviving. I think it's very clear if we really consider it. As you've heard me say so many, many Many, many times, the story of the Bible can be summed up with nine words. The prince slays the dragon and wins the girl. That's the story of the Bible. The prince slays the dragon and wins the girl. And that story is captured in four themes. Creation. God created 
all things and he created all good and he created it that we may look upon him as the supreme object of our admiration. However, as you and I go into Genesis 3, we see that Adam and Eve could not do that. And we see the fall. They rejected God as the supreme object of their admiration. And in that, then we see then God says, I have a solution. In Genesis 3.15, I'm going to send my son, or I'm going to send a savior, a Messiah, who will redeem my people, and then I will bring you all together back with consummation or recreation. This story here, as we look here, gives us that as we approach it. We find ourselves now, as you and I are reading this story, creation is done, fall is done. We are now in chapter three, or the third theme of of the story is that of redemption. And in Joshua, we see a foreshadowing of not only the redemption of God's children, but also the consummation as they find rest and take possession. As we approach the book of Joshua, we need to recognize that this is what awaits all of God's children. But we need to recognize that God has called us to be faithful in obedience, then reward. Here in Joshua, we see God working towards setting the stage of who is going to be the prince and where he will come from. It establishes the place where the prince and dragon will do their battle. The prince will be born a child of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he will come from the tribe of Judah, one of the tribes that received their land. One of his ancestors will be Rahab, the prostitute who was rescued from Jericho that we read not too long ago. He will come from the kingly line of David, from the tribe of Judah, who is the great-great-great-grandson of Rahab the prostitute. So what we see here is the setting, the ground stage of who he's going to be. Where is the battle going to take place? We see that he will be born in the city of Bethlehem. Though mentioned briefly, not necessarily, but we see that David will come from the city of Bethlehem. That was one of the lands that are cities that was conquered. Though mentioned briefly, the prince will face the dragon at Jerusalem, who at this time is still an enemy of Israel. It has not been subjugated and conquered. It also makes clear that it's the Lord who has won the victory over the Canaanites, the enemies of God in Israel. So not only is it setting the stage for what that cosmic battle is, the story of the Bible, but now it's making it clear that it's the Lord is the one who's going to go ahead of his people and do the battle, who wins the victory over the Canaanites, the enemies of God in Israel. Yet this victory also extends to Israel themselves as they obeyed him. In the same way, you and I need to recognize that Jesus, the prince, is also that divine warrior who has conquered the enemies of God for his children. And just as Israel can be said to be conquerors and victors over the land of Canaan and now are rewarded with an allotment of land, in Scripture we read Jesus saying, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And see, so Canaan and the world are, are analogous in that regard. <clears throat> Just as, 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 as Joshua, through the Lord, found victory, so you and I as well. John, the apostle in 1 John, says, Little children, you are from God, and you have overcome them, for, who, for he who is in you is greater 
than he who's in the world. That was Caleb and Joshua's remark from the very beginning. Listen, we can take this land. God is greater than these these children of Achim. He's greater than these Goliaths, these giants. We can take this Jericho. We can take this confederacy of kings. But then look here on the monitor, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 through 5. We read this, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God, look at this, overcomes the world. Just as all the children of Israel overcame the land of Canaan, so we are promised to overcome the world. He goes and say, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, trusting in God, obeying God. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's so important. And I pray here that if there's any of you that do not know that Jesus is the Son of God, if you have not yet trusted Him for eternal life, then I pray that you would do so today. Let me know. We'd love to share with you how you can know that you can have eternal life. Pastor John Piper writes this. He says, of this we may be sure. If the old Joshua was victorious over the enemies of God, then how much more the new Joshua, Jesus. Remember, Joshua and Jesus is the same name, one in Hebrew, one in Greek. Everything about the conquest of Canaan was written for our sake, for you and I, in order that we may have hope. In all these things, we see reflected dimly the conquest of Jesus over Satan, over sin and death and hell. Joshua was written as an example for you and I. John Piper goes on to say, with the blow that was struck at Calvary, speaking of the crucifixion, we know the victory is ours. Therefore, as the writer of Hebrews writes, let us strive to enter that rest that none of us fall by the same sort of disobedience. Speaking of those who disobeyed in the wilderness, they were not able to go into the promised land, the land of rest. Why? Because of disobedience. So he's saying, Christian, obedience is important for you for reward. For if we hold, going back to John Piper, he says, for if we hold our first confidence firm to the end, trusting that Jesus is trustworthy, that God is trustworthy, the deep river of death will open before us and Jesus will carry us over on the dry ground to the land where all is peace. Possession and rest. You may not know it, but that's truly what you desire to receive the inheritance that God has given to his children, to have rest. Wouldn't you just like to open Twitter or Facebook or the news and just see rest and just see calm? But it wouldn't be Twitter, right? Twitter, Twitter is designed as just like, what's, what's, it's a, it's a, uh, it's like a burning stack. You know, it's just like a fireplace. So God in his faithfulness, listen to this. So God in his faithfulness sent Jesus to be our victor. This was given to us in Genesis 3.15, right after the fall. 
And through Jesus' death, crucifixion, and resurrection, you and I receive both possession and rest that is found in salvation. Time does not give me the opportunity to give all that. But as we see here, Joshua is now giving the land to uh, Israel, to the tribes. Why? Because to the victors goes the spoils. So let me share with you. For the Christian who is faithfully faithfully obeying the word of God, we too are victors who receive reward, who receive spoils. Now, time doesn't give me a chance to go through all of these verses, so you can read Revelation 2 and 3. Let me give you a couple. It says, To the one who conquers, I will grant him to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. That's the judgment. To the one who conquers, I will give some hidden manna. I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone. To the one who conquers, who keeps my works until the end, I will give authority over the nations. To the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments. I will never blot out his name of the book of life. I will confess his name before the Father. What a wonderful phrase. One day Jesus my name will come from Jesus' lips to the Father's ears. And I will be accepted. What a wonderful phrase, thought. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. I will write on him, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of my city. Revelation 3.21, to the one who conquers, I will grant him to set with me on my throne. I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And 21 verse 7, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Rest, possession and rest. But Jesus also warns in Revelation 21.8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual immoral, Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Remember Achan, him and his family who broke faith? They did not receive the possession and the rest. Those in the wilderness that died, many of them probably did not receive the possession and the rest. So what's our call today? Well, you and I are called to take possession of all that Christ has given us and rest in his promises. Real quickly, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, very late in one of the last few books of the New Testament. Several years ago, we went through this passage, and it took us several weeks to get through this one passage, so we're not going to do that again. On our website, you can find our old messages. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1, that 1 through, I think, 11. I think that took us a month of Sundays to get through. But read silently with me at look at verse 3. As we read of our great inheritance... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's faithful. He's trustworthy. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Underline this next phrase if you haven't already done it. Verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept 
in heaven for you. You have a possession and a place of rest that God is promising to you. However, like Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, like the children of Israel in in Egypt under slavery and those who traveled around wandering for 40 years, we may have to wait for that. For he says, who by God's power, look at this, verse 5, who by God's power, we are being guarded through our faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last days. In this, we are to rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You're going through some difficulties, just like the children of Israel. You're enduring suffering. That is life. This is the, the life is suffering. We need to understand that. You know, we talk about oppressed and oppressed people. Life, is, that, that is life. That, that is a, in a sin broken world. That is the very definition of sin. Why in verse 7? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. You and I in this life are to walk the journey of our walk just as children of Israel to do. The suffering, we're to endure it, recognizing that the, that the, that the Lord is battling for us. Victory has been won. We're to take possession of the, those gifts that God has given us, recognizing that one day there is a day of rest. So what should we do? We need to praise God for an inheritance that is internal. This phrase leads us to the Old Testament imagery of the promised land that we've just been speaking about. The promise of inheritance was based on Israel's hope and security with rest from its enemies. It was a place of their own. And although you and I do not replace Israel, we are grafted in and we receive many of the same promises. And our inheritance is not a physical land at this moment as theirs are in the here and now. But our inheritance is given to us as imperishable, meaning that it cannot be destroyed. It's undefiled, meaning that it's not of this world or tainted by this world. It's unfading meaning that it does not lose its glory or luster. I remember when I was young, driving through Tennessee, that's where my folks were from, and driving back from there, I just was always struck by how many old shacks we would pass. Farmland all over, cotton fields all over, and just an old shack. Now, there would always be a nice, beautiful Lincoln Town Car next to it, but (laughs) it was these old shacks. I mean, just a, a good wind would knock it down. Maybe you've seen the same thing traveling across country or just in old neighborhoods. And we went to our neighborhood and our old old, old home we used to own when we were in Illinois. And that just neighborhood is just terrible. And we loved that home. And I'm sure those people who lived in those little homes in Tennessee loved them at one time. But what we see is through the age of time, they they start to perish, right? The, The beauty, the paint begins to fade. They're no longer as beautiful and, and, and wonderful as they once were. That's why Jesus says, don't put your treasures here on earth where moss and rust can decay, but put it there in heaven. See, you and I have an inheritance. So when you and I think, is God trustworthy? We would respond with a great amen. For he is. You and I have been given a down payment, a guarantee through the Holy Spirit 
of his promises that one day will be fully, fully given to us. Like Israel, we are in the waiting stage. We're waiting for that glorious day when Christ will return. Or the day, as that song says, our eyes will fade in death. Until that day, I'm going to ask you, would you commit with me to trusting in the word of God? Take possession of his great gifts of salvation that he's given us today and rest in the faithfulness of God. I believe several weeks ago when we opened up this series, I gave you the lyrics to a song I love called Rest. It goes, rest, the Lord is near. Refuse to fear, enjoy his love. Trust his mighty power fills every hour of all your days. There is no need for needless worry. With such a savior, you have no cause to ever doubt. For his perfect word still reassures in any trial. Rest. The Lord is there. Lift up your prayer for he is strong. Trust and he'll bring release. And perfect peace will calm your mind. Let us rest, rest in the trustworthiness of a God who is faithful who has called us to be obedient, and one day we will reap those rewards. May God sustain us until that day. Amen? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask Randy to go ahead and come up. We're going to do our communion here in a moment, and our men can go ahead and come up to the elders, deacons. Just take a moment to pause and consider what we're sharing here with you. It's, I know it's a familiar story to many of you, But yet this book holds so much for us. It has so much hope. It shares with us why we're doing what we're doing, what God is doing. And it teaches us to trust and rest in his promises. Would you pray and just ask God how he would call you today? Maybe it's time for you to recommit to trusting in him. Maybe it's time for you just to rest in his promises. And either way, would you respond to the Holy Spirit's work this week? Randy, would you come? and lead us in our pastor's prayer. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.